Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Dad Question Next Door. I hope you all are doing well and keeping safe. Today we have Carlos on the mic. I'm so happy to, to be back and um, just to share with you whatever that God lays in my heart, wherever you are listening. Um, I thank God for your life and I also thank God for my life and how he has brought me um, this far from the beginning of the year and all he has actually put me through <laughs> in a good sense, in a good sense. Um, and the fact that uh, I've been able to travel and uh, you know be able to immerse myself in different cultures with meet different people. I think that's one of the most beautiful things that God can actually give a person that opportunity to, to travel. And some of us might be privileged enough to travel um, as much as <laughs> We, we, we can, but some of us are, um, are not really that privileged. So anything that God bestows on us, I think it's important for us to to be grateful. Um, traveling in its own essence is, is a beauty. It's something that we should never take for granted because it allows us to open our minds and our hearts to different perspectives, different cultures, different experiences. And of course, to meet people uh, in whom we can actually share the gospel with and impart something upon um, their lives. And of course, they can as well share something that we um, never had. And I can almost imagine um, someone like the Apostle Paul um, living in our generation or time. And just to think of the amount of Ryanair tickets he would have purchased um, would have been innumerable. And I know he would have, you know, purchased these tickets to travel to these places not for his own selfish gain or for his own pleasure or delight but of course to go and share the gospel and to execute the great commission according to matthew 28 so it, it just goes to show that um, every opportunity that we get from god has a purpose and its main purpose is for his glory and for his name to be known so yeah i give thanks to god for that and I, I pray for more experiences like that to happen and for myself and for for you too so yeah um god's love this is what we're focusing on um here at that christian next door and i hope you've been able to um more or less um, receive something from what has been said so far and even as we progress with this that you'll be able um, to open your eyes to to experience the fullness of God's love because human beings the problem we have is that we turn to limit God and our mindset and our perspective and ideologies of who God is is so so limited so so limited and that goes to everything that God does everything that God says yes we understand it but do we really understand it and what limits us is our mind, is our flesh. This is how we are. We cannot compare ourselves with God. You know, he says that as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And also says that my ways are not your ways. So there's a difference between the way God thinks, the way God loves and the way we love. And we should understand that because if we do not understand that God loves differently than we do, then that limits us to really accepting and embracing the love that he shares. So yes, John chapter 3 and 16. I'm just going to quickly read it so we can progress from there. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This right here 
ladies and gentlemen, is planned provision that God had prepared for all those who had gone astray. Right from the time of the fall of Adam, God has created this plan to restore man back to himself because God does not find pleasure in being far from his creation. No, he delights in us. We are the apple of his eyes. So he has already created a plan right from the fall in how he was going to restore man back to himself. And this right here, ladies and gentlemen, is the plan provision being acted out in the New Testament. It's being executed right before, not our eyes, but of course, in some sense, I hope when we're reading the, the Bible, we get to, to picture this. We see it being executed. Verse 18 then says that, um, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Verse 19 then says, And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world. Yes, we see the mention of the only begotten Son, Jesus, but we also see then, another new phrase or another new term being introduced and it's the same person they're referring to Jesus that light has come into this world who is that light it is Jesus himself he declares it in I believe John chapter 8 verse 12 when he says I am the light of the world but whosoever believers in me shall not walk in darkness but shall have the light of life in Jesus there is light in him there is understanding see light doesn't necessarily mean that glow you see. No. Light refers to the illumination of our hearts and our minds. It refers to receiving the truth of God. It refers to experiencing a divine understanding that is not of this world. When light comes, hearts change. When light comes, minds change. But when we begin to operate in darkness, which is by hardening our heart and by still operating in disobedience, then we refuse that light. We believe not in that light. And we are still in darkness. What is very striking um, about Genesis chapter 1 is that before God could actually start the process of creation, or if I might say the very thing that God spoke to the earth, we all know this. He says, let there be light. But what is that light? It could have not been the sun because we see in Genesis chapter 1 verse 16 that the sun is then created. So light is not necessarily sun. It is not glow. It is not fire. Light is Christ. That's the importance of God's word. Before I think before God could ever create anything, he has to speak light into that sphere or that space. He has to speak Jesus into it because Jesus brings illumination. Jesus brings freedom. Jesus brings understanding. So the light that we receive, it is not the mere light that we perceive or the mere light that we see. It is the light of life, the light of understanding. And when we begin to see Jesus as the light of the world and we begin to receive him, and to receive that sacrifice that he made by putting himself upon display on the cross and by dying for our sins, we receive that light and our lives are transformed. I cannot just um, but imagine what Jesus Christ had to endure um, on the cross. You know, even when he was at the Garden of Gethsemane and he was speaking to the Father and he was like, take this cup from me. 
And many of us always wonder, what is this cup? That cup is the wrath of God. That cup is the wrath of God for our sin. Because God is holy. God is pure. God cannot behold anything that is sinful or that possesses iniquity. He's a righteous God. He's a pure and holy God. So anytime God looks upon humanity, there's a righteous anger, righteous wrath that comes upon him. Now, as I mentioned before, your wrath is not the same as God's wrath. Your wrath is evil. Your wrath is wicked. God's wrath is just. But that wrath has to be quenched. So Jesus then takes of that cup from the Father and then drinks it while he's upon the cross. Imagine one man bearing all the sins of the world, not just of that time, but of the, the years to come. He drank of it. And by that, he quenched the, the Father's wrath. He took that cup from God. So now when God sees us, all he sees is the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus to suffer that shame for our sake. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 also says this, that the wages of sin is death. So Christ came to suffer. There was a divine exchange. So he suffered that death for the wages of our sin. So he paid for it from his death. And in exchange, he gave us a gift. God gave us a gift, which is eternal life through Christ Jesus. And that's the beauty of the sacrifice on the cross. All the wages were paid for. Christ, who was the second Adam, he's the reason why the wrath of God is quenched. And we read about this in the book of Romans chapter 5, is from, I think if you read from verse 12 to 21. It says, I'll just read the first part, it says, by, by one man's sin entered the world and death by sin and so death passed on right so we had adam who sinned and then death continued but then by one man again jesus christ who is the second adam we obtained a gift and that's the beauty everything is a gift we didn't have to work for it the grace of god was bestowed upon us through christ what the enemy does, which is the devil, is that he is the accuser. This is um, according to Revelation 12, verse 10. He's the accuser of brethren. So he, his nature is to accuse, to point fingers and say, you did this. Your past is like this. Look at you now. And to be honest, his accusations are valid. Sin is part of who we are naturally. So the devil is consistently accusing us before God. Now I'm actually going to read the book of Zechariah chapter 3 because I see something which is very um, unique in how Joshua was before. Um, I think it was in the vision and then Joshua was there in heaven. And we see the enemy doing the same thing. When I say the enemy, I mean Satan, the devil. And we see him trying to accuse Joshua, pointing fingers at Joshua because Joshua in that vision was like dirty and he was wearing dirty garments and we see the enemy there why is he there what is he doing there he's carrying out his duty which is to accuse us which is to point out our flaws to point out our dirtiness our filthiness before god but in that story in zechariah chapter 3 um, if you read from verse I think, 3 going forward, we see that an angel of the Lord appears to justify Joshua and begins to clothe him with new garments. 
And this is powerful because this is what happens to us. The enemy is constantly accusing us of our sin. But Jesus then comes and he clothes us with new garments, with his grace, with his love. And I don't even, in that chapter, we don't see Jesus asking Joshua, why are you dirty? Joshua, why are you like this? How dare you? He just covers Joshua with new garments. He takes off Joshua's filthy clothes and he covers him and he covers him. And how beautiful is that? That Christ covers our sin. Actually, the onus is on us to take off the old man. Paul says, put off the old man and wear Christ. And wear Christ. So he clothes us with himself. Because when God sees us, what he needs to see is Jesus. You know, I remember growing up um, in a Nigerian household and whenever our parents who, let's say, get mad at one child, because um, I was pretty much the favorite, let's not lie. Parents always say they don't have favorites. They do, they do. So when my sister would get in trouble, my dad would never ever, like he wouldn't, he wouldn't dare want to see her. But then as soon as like, you'll see him like turn his back on her and let's say he faces her, you just get angry. But as soon as he faces me, he just smiles. You know, the same way when Jesus Christ or when God the Father sees you, he's upset. But don't be discouraged. Because now, if you believe the angel of the Lord, quote and unquote, Jesus clothes you with himself, with his new garments of grace and love. And then the Father sees a different you. He is now pleased with you. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And Paul does a good job by saying, using that term, clothe with Christ. Clothe with Christ. Hebrews chapter 12 and 2, very common scripture. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. But we don't stop there. We press on. It says, who for the joy that was set before him. What joy? The joy of being united with you. The joy of quenching the thirst or the wrath of God. And the joy of reuniting you back to the Father. That was the joy that was set before him. It was like a race where Jesus Christ saw that joy upon that cross. And he pursued despising the shame of the cross and he's now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God interceding for us. Jesus delights in us. He loves us. He wants us to be close to the Father. That is who he is. He embraces us. And I'm going to say this again in John chapter 15 verse 13 that there is no greater love had any man than this that he should lay down his life for his friends. And in John chapter 6, verse 37, a very famous statement. He says that all that the Father gives me will come to me. Right? Was John 3, 16. So we get the word, right? By us receiving the word, that is almost like God giving us to Christ. I hope this makes sense. So when we hear the word, God is is actually giving us to Christ. And those who believe. Now he says, all who will come to me, whoever, whoever comes to me, Whoever receives that word and comes to me, he says, I will never cast out. Another version says, I will in no wise cast away. 
And if you interpret that from the Greek, I think the Greek word for that is aume. And that is actually a double negative to strengthen, to emphasize that I will never ever despise anybody who believes in me. I will never despise them. I will never despise them. I will accept them and I will clothe them with myself. I will clothe them so that the Father's wrath will be quenched. I will not send you away. As many that believe, whosoever believes in me will not perish, but I will give him everlasting life. So our salvation is secured in Christ Jesus. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from his love. And we see um, another depiction of Christ's love for us um, in the way that he heals a leper. If you read the book of Matthew chapter 8, um, verse 2, um, Jesus' encounter with this leprous man shows his level of love and compassion. And I'm very particular with, with my examples from scripture because the same thing or in the same likeness of, as of Joshua being um, cloth in filthiness. Leprosy in the Jewish tradition was associated with filthiness. So a leprous man was unclean. You cannot come before him. But in, in Matthew chapter 8 verse 2, um, the man comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you will, make me clean. Now, I'm not really going to go to the intricacies of those um, of that verse when he says if you will because it shows his heart but I'm not really going to focus on that right now I just want to focus on Jesus because Jesus tells him and I believe it's in Matthew chapter 8 verse 3 right he says I will and then he tells him be clean and the Greek word um, for I will is thelo ethelo which um, demonstrates a longing desire to be fulfilled. Jesus wants all of us because we are all leprous in one shape or form. And when we come to him, his desire is to heal us, to cleanse us. And he tells us to be clean. If you read the book of Mark, actually, Mark has the same encounter. Mark 141. Jesus moved with compassion. Compassion in the Greek there is splanknizomahi. And what that means is that he was stirred up in his bowels, in his loins. There was a yearning for this man. And when I see this man, I see every sinner. Because the leprosy was his physical sickness, but we all have our own spiritual sickness. We all have our own psychological, emotional, financial sickness. And Jesus' desire is to heal us. He's moved compassion. His bowels, the very essence within him, yearns to heal us. He's so compassionate towards us. And God is also compassionate. Here we see Jesus, who is God as well, you know, demonstrate the compassion similar to that of the Father. God is compassionate. When I say God, I mean the whole triune God. They possess. I shouldn't say they, see. Let me not get into Trinity now. But they are all compassionate. The encounter with the leprous man shows Jesus' compassion and his willingness 
to heal as many that will come to him, as many that believe in his word. He wants us to be healed. He wants us to be restored. He wants us to be restored. So anytime we, we choose sin, what happens is that we, we put off Christ again, right? But that doesn't stop Jesus from wanting to save us. It doesn't stop him from loving us because God is love. And as I said before, get yourself away from this understanding that when I sin, Jesus doesn't want to come to me or God hates me. God isn't like you. He loves in a different way. He loves in abundance. When you program your mind to understand this, that is when you'll be able to come back to him. Again, back to John chapter 6. Whoever comes to me, whoever believes and comes to me, I will in no wise cast away. I will clean you because I am willing. That is my desire to clean you, to clean you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 45, it says, But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sin, had quickened us together with Christ. Think about it. When you were in sin, Jesus died for you. And now you have believed in him. And even if you mess up, right? Right? He still loves you because he loved you when you were already in sin. So now that you are with him, you have been quickened. Ephesians 2 and 5 says, you have been quickened together with him. Right? So he still loves you because you are now with him. And I want us to also talk about this idea. I know we mentioned in, in, in John chapter 3 verse 16 that we see um, four people in action, right? God the Father bringing forth the message, the word, that whosoever believes in Christ will not perish. And then God the Son, who is the one who does the dying. And God the Spirit, the one who quickens us and we that accept it. And, then, and I see this again when I was reading through this, the whole of Romans 8. So when I was reading Romans 8.30, I saw the same depiction again. It says, and those whom he predestined, predestined there um, refers to God being sovereign in that he's already created this planned provision for you. So he has from the ages, eons ago, ages ago, he had already planned this out. So he had predestined you to come back to him. So you has he predestined and those whom he predestined, he calls. Now, who does the calling? Jesus. Come unto me, all ye that labor, and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He calls. Jesus Christ is consistently doing the calling. Behold, I stand at the door. Whosoever opens, I will come and sup with him. Jesus is continuously calling you. God predestined you. God has already initiated that plan. Jesus is calling you to come into that plan. And then the Holy Spirit justifies you. He makes that plan real to you. He makes you see that you have been united with Christ. So we see that God predestines us. He calls us. He justifies us. And I know some of you are eager to see it saying, Oh yes, I've been glorified now. But I want us to pause for a second. I know that that is you. That is you there being glorified. But I want you to see that it's the three persons at work in your life that brings forth that glorification. So it's almost like 
the glorification is all for at work. The Father does the predestination, the Son does the calling, the Spirit does the justification, and all four become glorified. Because I think it would be, be not fair to, to let you take all the glory. It is the three persons at work in your life that brings forth glorification. And what is glorification? It's actually us being transformed and being conformed to the image of Christ. So all the predestination does and calling and justification is to conform us to become like Christ. Romans chapter 8, 30 speaks of the chain of God's work, the unbroken chain that is able to bring to completion the salvation of a man in Christ. And it gives all believers, not some, all believers, the comfort and an assurance that their salvation is indeed secured. Some of us still face this dilemma. How can I be saved? John chapter 3, 16 says it, believe, believe. In the book of Acts chapter 16, when Paul and Silas were in jail and the, the prison doors broke forth, the jailer was amazed and he asked them, how? How can I be saved? And they told him, and funny enough, John chapter 3, 16 was not there, but they were still able because they had that experiential knowledge of Christ. And they said, believe as we have believed, believe as well, and all of you will be saved. Even your household will be saved. And actually fulfills one of God's um, words in the Old Testament in Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7. He says that the Lord your God is compassionate, he's gracious, he's slow to anger. He's abounding in love and faithfulness, and he maintains love to a thousand generations. Forgiven the wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is who God is. He's slow to anger. As men that believe, they'll be saved. Even their generations will be saved because this is who God naturally is. He wants to dispense salvation. He wants it to be upon all men. It is upon all men, but he wants them to receive it. He's waiting for them to receive it. God is slow to anger, but swift to bless. That is who God is. But let me not go into the character of God. I just wanted to say that. Um, what was I saying? I was in the jailer, yeah. So he believed and the whole family was saved. The whole family was saved. When you believe in the Son of God, when you believe in Christ, there's a union with Christ. Romans 6 and 5 it says that, for we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, I spoke about this earlier on, is crucified, has been put off with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, and henceforth we shall not serve sin. When he says we have been planted together, that is the Greek word, somphotos, which, which means that we have now been grown with Christ. We are now in union with him. We have become one with him. Our sins has become his sins and his righteousness has become ours. That our death, our sin, even our damnation has also been exchanged for his grace in our life, for his eternal life and for his salvation. God has become one with us through Christ. Jesus Christ said it in John chapter 17 verse 11, but I pray Lord, that they will become one even as we are one. So through John 3.16, our belief in Christ, 
allows us to obtain union and unity with Christ. We become one with him. For as many have been baptized, this is the verse, should I say, is my anchor scripture today. Galatians chapter 3 and 27. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And that's a beautiful scripture. Colossians also says in verse 3, you know, set your eyes on, on things above. And then the latter part of it, it says, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. So Christ is in God and now your life becomes in Christ. Therefore, your life is also in God. So there's oneness, there's unity there. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then ye shall also appear with him in glory. Anyone who has died has been freed from sin and has now been made a slave to righteousness. And this is just a, a side note for as many of us, you know, sometimes we, 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 we wonder how do we still sin even when we are, you know, baptized with Christ? What happens when you sin, especially now that you're a believer? There's a sense of conviction that comes upon you. It's almost like you detest sin. That is proof of the life of Christ in you. So what you have to do is you have to operate with that light, with that understanding of that conviction in that you now hate sin. You do it again, but you hate it. You do it again and then you hate it. There's something in you that doesn't like sin. So then you consecrate yourself to the Holy Spirit and then he begins to purify your ways. So conviction is evidence of baptism in Christ. All you have to do is respond to it and to hold fast to the Spirit of God to do work in you. As I said before, the enemy is an accuser. He doesn't want you to respond to that new life. He doesn't want you to respond to it at all. He would rather have you think that you are not hidden with Christ, you know? He's, he's seen it. He's seen you being back. He's seen you declare it. But he'll continue to make sure that you do not believe it. Belief is continuous. So do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. And finally, um, just to end it, you know, Jesus Christ, according to John chapter 3, 16, he came to establish relationship with us again because we were far from God. We were so far from God. You know, in Exodus chapter 26, we see God instruct Moses, right, to build a tabernacle. You know the tabernacle, right? It was like a special place for Israelites to worship the tabernacle. And then even within the tabernacle, there was a place called the Holy of Holies, right? And the Holy of Holies was separated from the actual holy place which is the tabernacle place with a curtain and the curtain there is the veil right and this veil was stopping people from entering into the deepest parts of god from fully experiencing divine fellowship and relationship with god it was a barrier no matter what you think of it, the Holy of Holies being separated from the most holy place was a barrier, which means that we did not have full access with God. It was a form of separation, right? 
and that separation of course was due to our sin and it was only the high priest that could enter the holy of holies is this making sense so there was a veil there was a veil but i love in matthew chapter 27 verse 51 when jesus was on that cross it says and behold the veil of the temple was rent in twain another um, gospel i think says it was destroyed it was removed that veil was removed from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake and that was like the actual veil of the temple like not not just this is not like a literal thing the actual veil was destroyed on that day it says i think it was in the other gospel in mark it says and darkness filled the temple because when jesus christ was performing the ultimate sacrifice what he was doing was destroying that veil he wanted us to come closer to the father he was like no more separation no more separation no more hindrance they can come in they can come that was his words and this veil was torn so jesus christ through the sacrifice on the cross tore the veil no more separation in fact i am now the highest of the highest priest therefore i can tear it up i can grant you access to the father i am the way the truth and the life no man cometh to the father except through me because i have torn that veil i have torn that veil so john chapter 3 and 16 is a call for us to believe in him everything i've said so far is just to build upon what you or what scripture already says about your belief and what christ has done more especially to me is you know this veil that he tore some people don't understand what it was causing oh how it separated us how it separated them at that time they yearned to be with the one true living god but they were separated and jesus christ came and he tore it apart he tore it apart so as many that believe they will not be cast away they will have everlasting life and they will be saved so whatever you're going through no matter how far you think you've gone, know that God loves you. Know that God loves you. In John chapter 5, you know, it says in 37, um, I'm just going to paraphrase it. It says that people search the scriptures, for in them they think they have eternal life. John chapter 316, I'm, I'm adding that. It testifies of him. So you search the scriptures, you read it. You've read it so many times, and that's why we had to, to try and ponder upon it this is what we're doing we are meditating upon the scripture because they testify of him they are not him but they testify of him and when we begin to execute it and believe in actual retrospect to what is being said then that is when eternal life can come upon us so i wish you all a blessed day wherever you are and i hope that you understand or you embrace God's love and know that he really from the depths of his loins he desires you and he loves you stay blessed thank you